I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Spear Factor. I'm your host, Brett Whitman. And uh, today we got a special guest. His name is Brandon Zeke. He is from Focus Freediving. You can find more information on Focus Freediving at www.focusfreediving.com. And I met with him primarily because he's a local freedive instructor in the Southern California area. Uh, and he just recently suffered a, a squeeze. And um, I wanted to share some of the stuff that he learned from doing uh you know, deep diving. I think he got the squeeze on a 60 meter dive. And I thought maybe some of the stuff that he encountered, uh, he could share with you guys and we could learn uh, together and help prevent incidences like this from happening again. Because as we all know, squeezes suck and they keep us out of the water from doing the thing that we love to do. Um, and next is a big shout out to our sponsors. Like I said in the last episode, um, we got a new sponsor, Immersion uh, Freediving. Uh, that's Ted Hardy's Freediving group down um, down in Florida there, but he does a lot of the stuff online, um, which is really helpful and really easy. You can check that out at freedivingsafety.com or at Immersion Freediving. And our next sponsor is Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh, basically, Paul Rodriguez makes some badass guns for a, a really good price. And check out his stuff at www.hotrodspearguns.com. And Camara Spearfishing, inventors of the side slip. Uh, super cool way to hunt without screwing up your tip. To find out more information about the side slip, check out camaraspearfishing.com. That's K-I-M-E-R-A spearfishing.com. All right, and then Acaso cameras. Uh, I've been working with Acaso for years. Badass cameras and about a third of the price as the competitors. Check out uh, Acaso cameras at acasotech.com. Guys, all these sponsors have supplied uh, promo codes and discounts for Spear Factor listeners, so go over to spearfactor.com and check out the deals. And as always, got to give a big shout out to the boys, One Drop Spearfishing down in Guam. Now let's get started with the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to Spear Factor. Today, uh, we have Mr. Brandon Zeke. He is a local uh, freediving instructor here in San Diego, and um, really excited to have him here because he can offer a little bit of a different perspective on things, more local perspective than 
Um, like we had Ted Hardy on here. He's looking at things like, you know, competing in these crazy levels. And I know you've traveled too, but I kind of wanted to interview you to get your, like to get a finger on the pulse of the local, um, like free diving community that seems to have like blown up overnight in the last <laughs> few years, you know? Um, yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, so to start off with, like we always do, can you get into a little bit of the background of how you got wrapped into all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so spearfishing is really where I started. Uh, I moved out to Catalina in 2009, Catalina Island and basically bought a spear gun and bought terry moss's blue water hunting and freediving book and you basically use that as my uh reference for anything spearfishing because i had no idea what i was doing um and i moved out there in january so the water was still pretty chilly but i started shooting fish right out the gate started You know, I think uh, my second fish that I ever shot was like a six and a half pound calico. So it was kind of super stoked on that. And decent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So really after that, I had been fishing a lot with my dad um, when I was a kid. So the fishing side of it was always, always fun for me. And I think being able to get down there and select my target and then bring it home for dinner, um, was such a unreal feeling that, uh, I never let it go after that. So, um, lived out on Catalina for six years and just kind of really honed my skills, started building my own guns, uh, started traveling for spearfishing, uh, get, got actively involved with this, uh, organization called diving for a cause. And that allowed me to um, go places like Panama, Costa Rica, and Baja, uh, dive with Colleen Gallagher and Terry Moss. Um, and I mean, people that just have really impacted the community, um, either starting in the 60s or even just recently, you know, have had the full spectrum. So that's been super fun and keeping me keeping the the fire alive for spear fishing. Um, and then through that journey became an instructor just cause I loved freediving so much and started learning and, and adapting and really kind of getting into the, the training side of things as well. So, so you're originally from Southern California. Correct. I grew up in a mountain town called forest falls, California. Uh, so it's, um, in, in terms of geography, we're about an hour away from Big Bear. So kind of up in that area. So did you just move down um, to the coast area uh, after high school or college? Or do you guys were always just kind of coming down to fish with your dad? You said your dad fished. Yeah, we would always take a trip down to San Diego and hop on charter boats to go out and rod and reel for tuna and, you know the whole San Diego scene of of charter (laughs) fishing. Um, and then after Catalina, I actually did a little bit of a a stint down in Panama for a couple months, but then pretty much moved straight from there to San Diego. Um, I had met my wife on Catalina and she lives in, in here in La Mesa in San Diego. So, um, 
that was my big inspiration for moving to San Diego and started plugging into the community down here right away. So yeah, it's amazing how women can do that. They kind of (laughs) (laughs) definitely, definitely. Um, so when you were, you know, was there a moment when you were kind of like, Hey, um, the, the spearfishing thing, I'm, I'm liking it. And then the free dive, was there like a moment when you were kind of like, yeah, I think I want to do this, like really go for this. Or was it kind of more of a gradual thing for you? Um, I, you know, I always knew I wanted to do something in the water. Um, and in terms of career, I became a scuba diver right when I moved to Catalina as well and loved that. I actually went to, I took a, a short amount of time to go do commercial diving school up in Santa Barbara. Um, so I went through that whole path and I really loved it, but it didn't seem like the career path I really wanted to take. So I ended up back on Catalina and just loving life out there until, um, you know, the free diving instructor thing was really a side hustle for a long time and just, I enjoyed it. Uh, but I didn't see it going super far. And then, yeah, I started training to be a level two instructor, uh, cause it was just kind of next level in terms of, um, teaching the physics and physiology of that. And then, uh, how to get people past that hundred foot mark, you know, it's, it's a little bit more complicated because things start changing at those depths. And, uh, through that journey of training to be an instructor, I started really progressing in my own personal training. And that's where it was really like, I was hooked on like, okay, we're going to see just how, uh, how deep I can, I can train myself and how much I'm actually going to fall in love with this. And yeah, it's, it's been going strong. I've been loving it ever since. So had you done any, um, uh, sports or any athletic stuff previous to getting into moving to Catalina and getting into diving? And mm. I've always been fairly athletic in just terms of like being involved in community sports. Um, baseball and basketball were like the two that I did the most, but then at school, you know, I was just, I was always the guy out on the field, even if I wasn't doing a lot, it was just, um, trying to be as involved as I could. So, uh, I always really enjoyed the outdoors and team sports were, were kind of fun. I picked up power lifting. Uh, really it started with more like bodybuilding type, um, lifting. And then I really started enjoying the training process of, uh, lifting heavier weights. So got into the big, the big lifts, you know, deadlifts and bench press and squats, um, being the primary focus, but then all the other stuff to what that entails in terms of weightlifting. I got really, really into and enjoyed that. Um, thanks to my best friend who introduced me to that world. So, um, yeah. And then it, it started translating the diving better than I thought it would. And then uh, I kind of gave it up to really train for depth adaptation and stuff just because I wasn't flexible. So I had some other things to work on besides lifting heavy weight. So. Yeah, you mentioned weightlifting is kind of interesting because I remember seeing uh, Mark Lozano, is that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seeing him talk about uh, weightlifting too and then like seeing the size of the dude's legs. 
Um, <laughs> that's gnarly. Um, how, so, and myself included coming from a weightlifting background where it's like, go big or go home, like lift, 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 get big, get big, whatever meathead stuff it was for uh, college football. And then after that as well. But how do you think that has helped you or hindered you? And, and, and how have you kind of managed to mesh that into freediving? Because I was always told to like the two don't necessarily go hand in hand or they, they do if you train a specific way. I wanted to get your input on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say my experience with it is really just that I, I keep learning and adapting along with it. So uh, weightlifting, I have found in certain areas like um, some of these longer dives. You know, I started doing 55, 60 meter dives. And what I realized is the leg strength that weightlifting had given me um, and the tolerance for lactic acid and um, just these probably like my body also um, producing more red blood cells under uh, extreme physical stress. Those different adaptations I had through the powerlifting uh, regimens that I had, I feel like really, really helped. Um, where I feel like it hindered me was probably going to be the flexibility front. I just didn't do a lot of, I didn't do a lot of stretching, uh, when I was lifting, which every physical therapist I've ever talked to, or anybody who's in the medical field who knows anything about anatomy and physiology has said like lifters don't stretch enough, uh, which is how it leads to injuries. And it's like, yeah, okay. But you know, I do gradual warm ups. I don't really need to stretch. And um, I think that's where my mind was at. And then uh, I started diving and realizing how not flexible I was. <laughs> so uh, I really took a good year and a half, two years to really just only focus on flexibility and um, the depth adaptation. So I lost a lot of muscle mass in that process. Um, but then again, but, like muscle requires O2. Is that correct? Like, you know it, what I mean? It, it does, but it also stores more O2. So ah. you know, it's, it's kind <laughs> of, it's kind of the, one of those twofold things. I just don't think there's been enough studies done on it with free divers. Um, I'm sure we're getting to a place where we're going to start seeing more of that. But um, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of fun, fun things to experiment and try with and at the end of the day, if you're feeling comfortable on a dive, you know, whether you weightlift or not, um, that's the most important thing. So a hundred percent. That's what's so weird about honestly, free diving. There's so many arguments and, and, you know, I think cause there hasn't been a ton of studying on it. It's like, we're like this, like weirdo group of guys, according to the medical field, it's like, you know what I mean? as far yeah. as they just don't have enough data points on things. And then everybody's so different anyways, and everybody trains so different. So it's like all over the board and trying to find like a common mean or like, you're just not going to find it unless you get some vast amount of, you know, subject, subject matter, like data points right. from people doing it. So yeah. Um, super interesting stuff though. Like, cause the way that like, for the weightlifting, you know, and flexibility, you mentioned that's what you hear from. And I remember my personal trainer, uh, personal trainer, huh? my trainer in high school, like saying, Hey, you're going to 
have problems if you don't stretch. You're already tight in your Achilles and all these other things. And I was having some issues. And I always remember him saying that because it has bit me mm-hmm. in the ass for the next 20 years. And then and then we would go overseas and lift heavy and and do all this stuff. And then like what I found through the different deployments was like I was modifying the way I worked out so that I can continue to do the things I like to do, like surfing and diving. Um and it just it made me realize the one thing is I have all these aches and pains. And then the minute I started going to yoga and everybody would just bag on me for going to yoga, <laughs> uh, which, you know, whatever, I don't care. It's all right. Right. It's incredible. Um, yep. that was like the one thing that all of a sudden all these aches and pains went away. Like, and I tell everybody, if you want to continue to lift, um, just exercise in general, like pretty rigorously past, I don't know, 30, like for me, it was like 35 or whatever. It was like, you have to stretch or your body yep. will break. And it's like the fountain of youth, like, (laughs) you know, um, uh, and it's still biting me in the ass as far as squeezes and things like that. So moving on, um, you recently had a squeeze. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. Sure. Um, so it was middle of December. Uh, so fairly recently. Um, and you know, I've been teaching a lot of classes throughout the year, but my personal training, um, I just didn't do a lot of training dives throughout this last year, uh, for COVID reasons, but then also just because instruction picked up a lot of people wanting to take classes and, and learn. So, um, really devoted a lot of time to that. And, uh, so December hit and things started kind of slowing down for me. I started making more space for just getting some dives in for myself. And the week before I had the squeeze, I had done a 52 meter dive and it was my first, um, really deep dive probably in two or three months. So, uh, I was feeling pretty comfortable on that dive. Felt like my flexibility was still there. Um, came up not even breathing hard, just like, uh, it was such a great dive. And then, uh, the week after, um, I had hit 60 meters uh, earlier, like later summer. And I knew that I wanted to hit that 60 meter mark again before the year was over. And it was like, you know, like I felt so good at 52 and, um, so relaxed. And I really felt like I had the capacity to do it. And I I believe I did. I just, um, there were some steps along the way that uh, went a little awry for me. So I'll uh, get out there and do the warm up as I normally would. And um, I do the set the line for 60 meters ready to go and right out the gate, uh, you know, and this is going to be one of those really important things to point out is uh, I did a, a few packs before um, starting my dive. So something I've been trying to get used to is uh, packing and then re- making sure I don't hold tension after packing. So I don't do a ton of packs, just enough to um, be able to consciously release some of that tension or all the tension uh, before the dive. And I've been doing that all year in my training and I felt really comfortable with it. Um, but for this dive in particular, I, um, later on reflecting on the dive noticed that, uh, I definitely had held some tension when I started the dive just in the body, you know, muscles just kind of hold, hold on to some of that, um, 
restriction. So, you know, your, your body's trying to prevent you from taking too much air in and exploding your lungs. Um, You're talking about like tension in the ribs in the rib cage, like basically when you take mostly intercostals. Yeah. So just right in here, the thoracic cavity is where most of that was. I swear it's like counterproductive, you know, sometimes when you're trying to pack, like I've done it where I've almost got dizzy and like passed out. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to start my dive where I'm about to pass out. Right. Yeah. And that's, and it's usually due to the flexibility limit, you know, so you, the more flexible you become outward, um, the more those, those feelings of, uh, dizziness, you know, will go away because after a certain amount of pack, um, but you know, just as a little asterisk here, if you (laughs) haven't uh, done packing with an instructor intimately, um, that is definitely something that's necessary. You know, you don't want to give yourself an embolism by accident because you don't know what you're doing. So, um, so if anybody listening is like, Oh, packing, I should try that. Not to get sidetracked, but about <laughs> packing, but tell her like, why yeah. would pack? what is the benefit of packing? Um, when you're going deeper than X amount or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So our lungs, you know, have so much air that they can take. And then uh, that air compresses on a dive as we all know. So as you get deeper, uh, that space is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, what packing allows us to do is, uh, it's, it really gives us more time before hitting our residual volume on a dive, which is essentially like if you were to do a full exhale, get as much of the air out as you can, that would be our residual volume. Right. And at some point on the dive, you'll reach that point with your lungs. Like if you were to have done a full exhale, um, so the, the more time you can put between uh, leaving the surface and getting to a certain depth before hitting residual volume, the more advantage you have, you know, you, you'll be able to get a little bit farther, uh, with the amount of air that you have. So that's the real advantage of it. Um, and it really doesn't become necessary, uh, for the most part, most people I've talked to, it doesn't really even become necessary until you start diving past 50 meters, even potentially 60 or 70 meters. Um, that's when it starts really becoming really necessary. Uh, so yeah, I started off my dive with just a few packs, um, was holding tension. I was also a little cold. Uh, the water temp had dropped a little bit more middle of December. It was sitting in the Lohe Canyon, it was sitting probably like 58, 59 at the surface. So not terribly, terribly cold, but good enough to, uh, create some chills after a good warm up. <laughs> and, um, so trying to focus on relaxing all of my muscles just from being cold, uh, relaxing any tension I had. And then, uh, equalization has always been a a struggle for me at the deeper depths. So, um, just make like, whenever I try to move some air around at that depth, it always seems to like sneak by my epiglottis and go back into the lungs. And it's like, ah, I guess go back up to the surface, figure out how to hold that better. So I've been doing a lot of dry training throughout the year, um, because I haven't been doing much other training, um, based on availability. So, uh, I spent a lot of time just with my equalization tool on land, um, 
with the balloon, you know, just doing some work and, and figuring out how to control the air and where it's going to go. And, uh, so on this dive in particular, I was really focused on making sure I got my equalization just right, which caused me to ignore the slight tension I had in my body. It caused me to ignore the fact that, um, really I was getting some super strong contractions on the way down. Uh, once I hit 40 meters, I got my first contraction. And contractions on the way down, uh, as I have learned, are a big no-no. <laughs> so especially when they're as large as the ones I had. Um, but any contraction on the way down is just putting extra negative pressure on your thoracic cavity. And ultimately, that's what caused the squeeze. Um, but, you know, in, in my mind, I was so focused. Uh, my body, I actually felt very comfortable other than that slight bit of tension from the cold. And, um, it felt like almost, um, going with contractions like I would in a static, but in a static, I don't have pressure changes. So, um, it didn't even register in my mind at that point that that was going to be an issue. So I my EQ was so on point. Normally those contractions would throw me off and, and I would like lock up my ears and I would have to turn around anyways, which is why I probably haven't ever gotten a squeeze in that situation before. EQ work did a, did a good job of getting me super focused and and knowing what I had to do. So I was able to equalize all the way down to 60 meters and turn around and come back up. And, uh, the dive felt good, you know, um, no leg burn. I wasn't really out of breath at the surface. Um, still, you know, I had warmed up a little bit from kicking up, so I was actually feeling really comfortable and, um, I was ready to do another dive down to like 50, 55. Cause I just felt that good. Like, okay, you know, let's do another one. Uh, not down to 60, but definitely, you know, meters you're talking about. Yeah. Meters. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Right. So hundred and, uh, the 60 meter dive, you know, 198 feet and then, uh, 50, 50 meters is 165, I think. So. Yeah. I've heard uh, about that depth. I have never been remotely close to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was just doing the relaxing and the recover. Um, I did my spit check to see if I had any blood in my spit nothing was coming up and I felt really good about it. So I was like, okay uh, ready to do another 50 meter dive. And I, I waited, um, you know, with these deep dives, decompression sickness is very real, uh, possibility. So I wanted to make sure I got enough surface interval before doing my next dive. Um, I think my dive buddies had already done their next dives and were ready to like, it was my turn again after six minutes of my dive. And I was like, you know, no, like, I really need to do my proper surface interval. So why don't you guys do another round? Uh, and I should be ready to go by the time you guys, you know, cycle through again. And, um, ultimately my decision to stick to that, that plan of making sure my surface interval was what it needed to be uh, as what saved me from really causing some big damage. Um, because about 10 minutes after I surfaced, I started tasting pennies. Uh, uh, and that to me was the indicator, like, you know, that's usually a sign that there's blood in there. And I wasn't sure where it was coming from or like what was happening. And it was just like a flavor change. It was like, okay, that's weird. 
So my time was up and, you know, and I was like, you know, I'm starting to taste pennies. I don't, I don't think I should dive just yet. Um, give me a couple more minutes. And about 30 seconds after that, I had this like little itch in my throat and I coughed and, uh, it was like a big loogie, you know, just like, Oh yeah. Uh, I, I could feel it just coming up and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, what is that? You know? And I could taste it in my mouth and I was like, Oh, this isn't going to be good when it comes out. So I spit out and, uh, it's mostly, mostly blood, you know, a little bit of spit in there, but mostly blood. And I was like, Nope, guys, we're done or I'm done. You guys can keep diving. Uh, but I'm not, I won't be going underwater for a couple more weeks from here on out. So, you know, I'll stay with you guys till you're done. So have you had any issues since then? No, no. Um, I took the proper amount of time to recover. Uh, two weeks was, was the, the mark. So, um, luckily I had two weeks right before going down and doing some spearfishing in Cabo. So it like met with that trip, like on the money. And I was like, all right, <laughs> uh, first day in Cabo was some very shallow dives and only a few just cause I wasn't quite sure how it had healed up. Um, no, nothing deep, you know, 15, 15 meters, 15, 20 meters max. And then, uh, only like five days. I only did five dives the first day, I think. And then I had another day off after that and was right as rain after that. So. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, if you haven't had a, a squeeze and that was a bronchial squeeze, squeeze, you said like a throat squeeze. Yeah, it seems like it was because it was definitely deeper in the chest, um, but it definitely wasn't into the lungs. So um, just thinking like right where the bronchi go into the lungs from the trachea is probably right about where it happened. Okay, yeah. Um, so, and I've battled with squeezes myself much shallower. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is just interesting to me there's not that much information out there on it. And mm -hmm. I've like reached out to a lot of guys, Ryan Myers and, and, and just asked for their opinion on things because it's scary. Cause I mean, uh, people, you know, you could squeeze yourself out of diving and that's uh, a nightmare for me, but and I'm sure, sure it is for you too. Um, what, what did you, let's talk about different types of squeezes. You mentioned bronchial squeeze. Mm -hmm. Basically we got our lung squeeze. There's a trachea squeeze, a bronchial mm -hmm. squeeze. And I do, and I remember reading like different types of blood or different colors of phlegm and different amounts indicates the type, and I could be wrong, uh, the type and basically the amount of the squeeze and how long it should be out of. There, again, there's no, not a whole lot of research to this stuff. And I just read and try to take as much information as I can. And then, you know, from deductive reasoning, kind of come up with guidelines is what everybody's basically doing. All right. Um, do you want to elaborate on that stuff? Sure. Um, a lot of times, you know, you can, you can decipher the severity of the squeeze, uh, by how much blood is in your spit, you know? So, I mean, that's really the best indicator that we have. Um, just like you were saying, just because we don't know as much as we probably want to know. And, um, so at least with, FII, something, you know, that we, we teach in level two is, uh, gauging like how much blood is in your spit. And that's how going to tell you how to recover, um, going forward. Right. Right. So, so, uh, if you're just getting like 
specks of blood in your spit, it's going to be more blood or more spit than blood. So we usually would gauge that as like a somewhat minor, um, minor squeeze, take a week off and then start at 50% of the depth, um, that the squeeze occurred. Uh, if you have the same amount of blood or more blood than spit, then you want to take two weeks off. And then again, also start at 50% of the depth that the squeeze occurred. Um, so, and that's just like, that's basically the, the safest thing we've come up with, uh, over time at this point. Um, and it, you know, I think two weeks feeling what the full two weeks did to my body. Um, you know, at first, the first day was very, uh, you know, you felt like you did a, a chest day, you know, you're like, okay, it's like kind of sore, but you know, you're, it's like, okay, it's not that bad. Um, day two, all the way through day, I want to say nine were brutal. Uh, just because I, I, it was definitely a large squeeze cause I was spitting most, mostly blood, um, for a good half hour. And so I knew it was a big one. And, uh, honestly, like day two to day nine, uh, it hurt to sleep on my side. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night just with like kind of aches and pains if I had on, been on my side. And I don't wake up for much. So if it wakes me up, you know, it's not a good thing. Understand. Um, so, and then going throughout the day, it would like kind of go away. Um, you know, if I was breathing really shallow, uh, it doesn't aggravate the lungs as much. Uh, so, um, I would go through the day breathing fairly shallow, but then if I went, you know, had to do, a a longer walk somewhere, walk up some stairs and my breathing picked up a little bit. Um, I would be sore for a couple of hours after that, uh, just that small activity. And, uh, that lasted for seven days. It was crazy. It was just like, Oh my gosh, is it almost starts to feel like the mental part of it was harder. Cause it's like, am I like messed up for life? Like, is this going to be like a thing that I have to deal with from now on? <laughs> Oh, a hundred percent. I know exactly what you're saying. It's like, uh, yeah. you start to like, Oh, did I just really fuck myself up? Oh no. Yeah. Like what, you know, uh, yep. especially with the breathing aspect, when you talk about like labored kind of breathing, like that's always scary. Cause when I got, when I did a squeeze, it was, um, there wasn't even, there was, I noticed when I came up, I had that urge to swallow and it was like all phlegm, but, and there really wasn't even, um, that there wasn't any, really any trace of blood necessarily. It was just like I was spitting up phlegm like crazy, felt like I had to swallow all the time. And then it was the labored breathing for like an hour. Like I'm sitting there yeah. coughing. I was like, Ugh. I'm like, oh, dude. And the same, the thought, it's the same thought that pops in your head. I just, I, A, for me, it's like I did it again. And B, yeah. is this the one that's going to just fuck with the rest of my life up right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so what are some, like, do you do diaphragm stretches? I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely, um, definitely diaphragm stretches. Um, they're really, those are the best stretches for inward flexibility because just there's not a whole lot of ways to, to get <laughs> things to compress in here, you know. Um, so those ones are really good. Um, 
like not even just for lung volume, I'm starting to realize that uh, the more flexibility I have outward, the easier it is to release tension when I take a full inhalation for a dive. So it just became so important to be stretching all of this all the time, you know, so whatever, whatever you can stretch, however you can stretch it, as long as you're not hurting yourself, it's, it's become really, really beneficial. No, that's cool. And then, uh, we were going back to the phlegm thing. Uh, I've heard too, like different color, different colors of spit indicate like either a trachea squeeze or a lung squeeze or, you know, the only time, um, you'll see different colors is usually because of a plasma fill. Um, so the plasma usually comes before blood and that's just pulling, you know, plasma is what your blood uses to transport through your body. Essentially that's the liquid part of your blood. Um, the blood cells themselves are actually tissues. So, uh, the plasma will pull through into your lungs to actually prevent uh, a collapsed lung. So it's actually something we need to happen when we start getting past residual volume. Um, but if, if you get uh, plasma fill sometimes on the way back up, it doesn't always all the way go back into the blood. So you'll get a little bit of your spit will start to turn either that like darker yellowish or even orangish color. Uh, and there's a big difference between plasma and blood. So blood's just that bright red. Uh, and then the plasma tends to be yellow and orange and plasma is okay. You just don't want to dive while you're still spitting it up. Um, so, you know, if you spit up some plasma, you just take a few extra minutes and then do another spit check. If it's still there, wait a few more minutes. Once it's completely gone, you're pretty much right as rain. Good to go for another dive. And that, that kind of, uh, manifests itself in the lungs or in everywhere, the throat, the lungs, bronchial tubes. Yeah. It's going to be anywhere. There's negative pressure because it's, it's pulling through the tissue. Okay. Um, so it, it could be anywhere. Most of the time, as long as your dive is relaxed, uh, it's going to be in the lungs that it'll happen a majority of the time. Um, cause that's really what it's meant to protect, but it'll, it'll pull through in all of those areas. Mm-hmm. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. You mentioned when you were doing your dive and you had your squeeze, um, you mentioned contractions and Mm -hmm. depth triggers. We used to call them or, or can you elaborate a little bit on that? And basically anybody that's dive has had this dive. That's perfect. And then they dive again 
and they're like halfway down to where they just dove and it's like mm, these violent contractions and for the longest time i kind of associated that to like not doing a good breathe up where i still had or mm. ha- had not not a long enough recovery whereas like i still had a ton of um residual co2 could you elaborate on that because i don't even know if that's true i was just that was what i was thinking yeah usually on the way down um any contraction is going to be caused by um, we have our stretch receptors. So we would call that like the false urge to breathe or a false contraction. And that's because uh, most of the time contractions are caused by CO2. So a lot of times, you know, it's like, oh, I'm contracting on the way down. I need to have better CO2 tolerance. And it's like, well, usually on the way down, you're getting closer to that residual volume or you're going past it. And your stretch receptors are telling your brain like, hey, you need to breathe because we are out of air. Um, So you get this false contraction to kind of instigate breathing. Uh, Obviously, when we're reaching residual volumes, that can be different for different people. It can be at 80 feet or it can be at 150 feet. Um, But no matter where you're at, you're not that close to air. (laughs) So uh, we're not going to be taking a breath when that happens. Um, but a lot of times when you get that false urge to breathe or that false contraction, if you keep going a little bit deeper, a lot of times your stretch receptors just give up. Uh, I think in my case, I kept getting a contraction because, um, I was holding this tension and my stretch receptors were fighting back, uh, over and over and over again. I wasn't allowing to them to kind of relax into the situation. Uh, again, this is like all retrospect. Like I wasn't going through my head in the moment, but, uh, um, oh, of course. Yeah. I've had it where I'm hanging on the line and I'm like, dude, you're at 60 feet. Like we'll calm it. Like what is going on? And it's just like, yeah. mm, 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 really violent. And I swear it's like, and then I've told myself, you know, pardon me, don't be a pussy, just chill out. And, and it's, then it's like goes away, but it's like all, it's funny how you're, you're, how the mental game also ties in with the, you know, the physical. And I don't know which one comes first because they both tend to go swing the pendulum stems back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's such Definitely. a weird thing, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's usually, um, I know for me, uh, what I've experienced a lot of the times is that, uh, mentally, I just come into the game so focused that my body tension just doesn't often hold that much a lot of the times. But then when the times that it does, I think I'm so used to being in a good zone. I don't even think about like resetting my mental, my mental zone. Um, so it's hard for me to sometimes figure that out in the, in the midst of it. So it's been a good learning uh, situation for sure. Like, okay. You know, mental resets are going to be beneficial. And, um, you know, sometimes we get so focused on numbers too, like on a line. It, you know, I set the thing at 60 meters and I'm like, I expect to get there. I've been there before. Um, you know, so if something goes wrong, uh, sometimes it's really easy to overlook it as like, I know what I'm doing. I've been here before. Just relax and get there. Uh, and that, that also would, seem to have been a poor decision on my part. Well, that's, uh, so. that's the story of so many people's lives, you know, where it's like, uh, with the diving, it's like, Oh, I'm going to hundred feet today. I don't care. <laughs> like I will make yeah. it. 
at, 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 or like you have these goals, these, like you said, the numbers and, uh, you have these goals and you're like, well, now you just screwed yourself as soon as you, especially being a competitive person, like, well, I, you know, I did that 28 day, um, Ted Hardy, the free diving transformation. And there was a lot of, it's all dry training. And, and, uh, it was, uh, you know, one of the exercises of max O2 hold, right. Max breath hold. Right. And it was like the first week, you know, I hit in the fives and that was like a personal best and I didn't expect it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh wow, that's awesome. I didn't even expect it. And then the next week I had no intention. I feel like of even getting remotely close that it was like a fluke. And I just wanted to see, you know, I'll be happy with this. And somehow, you know, I hit the six minute mark. And then from there on though, I was like, well, that means I can just keep going up a minute every day. And I just totally screwed myself. And, and, and I remember talking to Ted, he's like, yeah, now you're done. I was like, it means so much, like everything, right? Like I'm just a competitive person anyways. And it's like, here we go. And I told myself not to do it as much as I told myself not to do it. Still did it. I mean, and I was like, I'll be happy with fives, you know? Okay. But it's so funny to me because number one, I didn't really think it transitioned over to anything. I don't know. <laughs> as far as like, I was like diving, I went to Baja, you know, and I was diving and I was right. like, uh, I should be able to stay down. Like maybe like, I don't know, three and a half, four minutes. Like it's good. You know, it's just, I just got to stay relaxed and shallow and see how it goes. No, not so much. Like I did add a little bit of time, but it wasn't anything crazy. Um, Fishing uh, changes the game so much. (laughs) Yeah. And let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I know I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, Yeah. Spearfishing is, I tell everybody, spearfishing is not freediving. And when I really started exclusively training freediving, I realized the one thing that transitions over is your breathe up and relaxation. Mm -hmm. Like, and and you can tell my numbers are shit when I'm spearfishing because I'm not sitting there like worried about breathing up and just, you know, the dive and all that. I'm like, no, I'm hunting, actively hunting. But yeah. you can kind of uh, switch some things over. Like I have this like foam surfboard kind of thing that I made and I use that to breathe up on. And then if you can throw your gun down too, if it's going to be a longer and, and kind of meet it on the way down. But if you get that first initial really good speed dive down, you can kind of adapt some of that stuff into free diving. But the more you do it, the more you realize it is so different and it's weird. They're so similar, but they, they are just completely different. Uh, yep. Yeah. And I'm, you're always disappointed when you go from free diving to spearfishing. It's like, damn, dude. Um, yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that, I guess, with you. I mean, in your own personal adventure because you said you started out spearfishing then you got into free diving i know you're right you're bombing down to 200 feet occasionally uh but 150 we'll call it comfortably i don't know um you know you're not hunting in 150 feet of water i guess is what i'm saying not yet right that's (laughs) right and yeah Yeah. exactly there's those goals again anyway that's right (laughs) um yeah, it's it's uh it is quite an interesting transition when you go from one to the other. Um something that um friend of mine Nathan Minata uh we always talk about how freediving and spearfishing really do complement each other. Like you almost need them both um I guess you don't need to because there are plenty of elite freedivers out there that don't spearfish. Uh, but 
really like spearfishing is such good training for line diving because um, it changes the environment. It causes different mindsets and there's a lot of kicking and potentially fighting a large fish on the way up, you know, after you've already had a long breath hold, um, even being down and trying to relax, but also be strategic and, and very tactful in how you approach uh, a reef or a fish. Um, it just takes more, more thinking power and, and different, uh, different approaches, uh, just in movements in the water, uh, that really make the line diving part. So versatile, you're just like, okay, like I know how to move my body and control it a little bit better. And, um, just the, the oxygen consumption that spearfishing takes a lot of times benefits the line and then vice versa, you know, you're getting so much time on a line where it's like, uh, I can't tell you how much, um, it's improved my mental game like so, so much just being able to dive 60 meters, uh, in California in December. Um, I never thought that was possible uh, up until a couple years ago. Like I started training for level two instructor and it was like, I'm going to stop at 40 meters cause that's what I have to do. And nobody dives in 40 meters in California. That's ridiculous. Um, it's too cold. It's too murky. Nobody likes it and uh, nobody's doing it. And then I started diving 40 meters and I wanted to keep going and started getting really comfortable with deeper dives and translating that into spearfishing. Just, uh, the amount of comfortability I have now, uh, you know, most of the stuff we dive for doesn't, isn't that deep. Uh, we're, you know, we're hunting white sea bass at 40, 50 feet, sometimes in 10 feet of water, you know, it just depends. But, um, when you, when you dive down to 60 feet after bombing 200 feet, you're almost, you get to the bottom and you're like, that's it. We're already here. Like, okay, cool. Uh, guess wasn't expecting that. I guess I'll sit here and look around for a little bit, you know, and, um, the mental edge you get from, from both in both situations. It's so crucial for us here, at least. Yeah. It's like with free diving too, is if, when you spearfish, like you said, there's so much going on, but -hmm. you still have to focus on a dive. Yep. So if you can focus on a dive while hunting a fish, while dropping down and looking around, um, you know, because you don't know what you're dropping into. And that's always a weird thing too, is having that good posture when you're trying to spearfish, because you got to look and see if you're going to drop right on top of a grouper or something right? Um, and scare everything down there. Um, but then you go to a line and you're like, okay, so I just swim to the bottom. I just swim down this thing. And all I focus on is that line in front of my face mm-hmm. and just talk to myself, no gun, no nothing. It's like, well, this is easy, you know? Um, it's And like you said, then there's that mental confidence. And I think that's where the static for me what it was with the mental confidence of saying like, oh, I know I can hold my breath for X amount of time. Uh, I know I can go down this deep, no problem, without any issue. So we're going to be diving in, let's say, uh, you know, 70 feet. Okay. Um, I should be able to do that. You know, it gives you that confidence to go into everything. But the more importantly, the thing is stay relaxed. Right. Yeah. Um, no, that's, yeah. this is, this is good stuff. I just, um, do you want to talk about, I guess, uh, you know, we talk about the squeezes and you diving and, and I always thought it was hilarious 
slash a little wild when you guys were talking about diving. Um, hey, you want to come out and dive on Sunday? It's January, December, and <laughs> the water's cold. And I'm like, well, I usually surf now, but you diving? I'm like, okay. And then I see uh, Nathan's pictures, of, you know, him at depth and all this stuff. I was like, damn, these guys are like serious about this. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, your little meetups you guys do, or kind of for anybody in the in the area in San Diego area or you know San Diego County? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Chris Cheesem really started this thing, uh, called just get wet. Um, really it started with dive Um, if you, if you have that app, uh, they, they have been working on, um, visibility forecasting and, uh, their, their motto was just get wet. And then that quickly turned into a dive group platform essentially so uh it's split into two groups and he has these these groups that meet up um i think just get wet their website uh has the the scheduling and and what it costs to just have a spot um so they'll they'll have like open lines just for people to sign up for a spot and come out and dive and then uh they also run uh i believe they run the Molchanov classes um, through their, uh, whole system there. Um, so Nathan Minata and Chris and Derek Rush are, uh, the instructors, uh, for them. So and they're doing uh, that on Wednesday, Wednesdays, right? Is that, they still do that on Wednesdays? Uh, they do the pool training on Wednesdays, right? So they'll, they'll be at, uh, their, the plunge on Wednesday evenings. Um, and it's super cool. Uh, they've, they've been working really consistently at, at having a lot of different people with a lot of different certification backgrounds to come be a part of it. And, uh, it's very crucial to our community just to kind of keep it going and, um, get people to just have a place to keep getting in the water and, and train. Uh, so that's been super fun to, even though I've been a part of it from kind of more of an outlier perspective, uh, it's, it's been fun to be a part of it for sure. Right on. Yeah. So Sundays, uh, what time do you guys typically meet up at? Yeah. Sundays, I think they, they do, uh, they meet up at like 8am or something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's super cool. Um, Honestly, it's been so important to get in the water and, and keep, keep going forward. Uh, in the winter, it's a little bit harder to really hit the, the deep stuff uh, just because, again, dealing with the cold and the body tension. But you can still train shallower dives and get a, a lot out of it for deeper dives. Uh, so while it's cold in the winter, you know, maybe we're doing shallower dives, but we're still working on different things like depth adaptations and, and breath hold, um, and physical capacities. And then, uh, we're ready for summer to hit and, and rock it when it gets here, you know? Oh yeah. Nice. So, uh, getting a little bit more spearfishing and, uh, you, I know you got to go. What was, as far as spearfishing goes, what is, let's say, your most proud fish, I would say, that you've really, like, really just burns in your mind, you know? Like, where it's like, mm. yeah, that thing. Oh, man, that's going to be a tough one. Um, that's hard. I, I, I've loved a lot of different fish I've shot, so it's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick two, if that's okay. 
Yeah, go for it. Um, so the first one, I love hunting yellowtail. That's just like, that's kind of like scratching my itch quite a bit of the time. Um, I don't know what it is. I think it's just the, like, it was such a sought after fish when I started spearfishing for me, like I just got to shoot a yellowtail. And then, uh, I started really getting good at shooting yellowtail and, and landing them. Um, and I love the, the challenge that they can present Island yellowtail are way different than patty hopping yellowtail. Oh, 100%. So they, they, uh, they seem to be a little bit more timid and a little, a little smarter let's be honest. Um, which is why they get a little bit bigger around the islands. And, uh, so I just, I really fell in love with hunting them. I had a chance to go to New Zealand with diving for a cause and, uh, hunt big, big yellowtail kingfish out there. And they, they're almost identical fish, uh, in terms of behavior. It's just that the surroundings are a little different. Um, so, went out on this, on this day, we had good weather window for getting out at White's Island, which is this island off of the Bay of Plenty, uh, North Island, New Zealand. And it's from everything I've heard and read, uh, it's like the Jurassic Park of New Zealand for yellowtail kingfish. Uh, this is where all the big ones tend to be shot. So we get out there and in my mind, I'm like, okay, like we're going to see some tanks. Right. And so the first spot we jump in on, uh, getting schooled by like 30 pound yellowtail, uh, there's hundreds of them and it's like, okay, 30 pounders, you know, I've, right. I've seen these back, I've seen these back home. That's not a shock. Um, but you know, we're not here. You can only shoot one per day. So per person. So I'm like, all right, you know, like this isn't where the one I want to shoot. Right. Don't want 30 pounders. Right. And you're always terrified. I've, you're going to pass one up. And then, right. uh, you don't see another one. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you dive down and the little ones stay at the surface, <laughs> little ones, the, the 30 pounders and, uh, the next size up starts to school you. So, uh, I started seeing these 50 pound kingfish <laughs> and they're just, they're vortexing me. At, I want to get down to like 40 feet. And I, I literally had a moment where I stopped swimming down. I looked around me. I'm pretty sure I put my hand on my head and I was like, why am I not pulling the trigger on a 50 pound yellowtail right now? Like I'm watching at least 50 of these fish swim around me. And it was almost giving me a headache. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Uh, so I do another dive a little bit deeper just to get through them. I was like, I know there's a bigger one. I just got to keep telling myself that I know there's a bigger one. And underneath down, actually almost acting like a grouper. There's these two yellowtail that were easily like in that 60 to 80 pound range. And I was like, okay, that is why we go. don't pull it. <laughs> That's why we don't pull the trigger on a, uh, on a 50 pounder. Right. So we had the, the current picked up and we had to actually move a spot before I got a shot off on, uh, either of those two yellowtail and every dive I took down, they actually got deeper. Uh, so the first time I saw them, they were at like 70 feet and I was like, okay, so I go down to 70 feet and they had bumped down to like 90. I was like, oh my gosh. All right. So 
I go get my breathe up and I go back down to like 85 and they've pushed down to like 120. And I was like, forget this. <laughs> like these, these fish yeah. are just, they're on me. You know, they know the game here. Um, yeah, I'm out. So we, we move, we move to a different spot. Uh, and we stayed there for a, a good amount of time. And my buddy comes up from a dive and he's like, dude, go sit on this rock. There's this one kingfish, right? And it's swimming around down there. You'll see it. Uh, just go sit on this rock. Uh, okay. Dive down to, it's like 65 feet. Dive down on this rock. And I sit and wait. And in New Zealand, they've got these blue perch. They're called blue mau mau. But there's so many of them. So they're vortexing me while I'm on top of this rock. And they're just thick. I can't see anything. So I just like, uh, I, I can't shoot a fish like this. I, I have a wall of blue in front of my face. Um, so I'm, I lift myself up off the rock because I'm like, I'm not going to stay down here. I can't see anything. And as soon as I come up off the rock, this big tunnel opens in the blue Mau Mau. And here comes just these, this, all I see is a head with big fat lips. And I was like, oh, there it is. Back down on the rock, <laughs> kind of lit, lie in wait comes almost right up to me and then just does that nice broadside. And I put the shot through the gill plates and then, uh, all in all, my buddy had to put the second shot in it. Uh, once we got it about, uh, up to the shooting line on the float, um, uh, just, it was going a little crazy in, uh, doing the circles, you know, the, the pinwheels. Um, but yeah, so that ended up being a 74 pound kingfish. So and it had just spawned. So it was actually really thin in the gut. Uh, I was told that if it had not spawned, it probably would have been in between 90 and a hundred pounds. So it was like, wow. all right, there's a good, you know, the meat doesn't thin out when they spawn. So same amount of meat, right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so it's a good fish. Well, it's good. I got a chance to spawn too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that, I think I still look back on that fish as like, I love hunting yellowtail so much that that really is up there as one of my favorite. And then, uh, the number two, this story will go a little quicker. Um, number, number two is, uh, my recent trip to Cabo, um, Cabrera snapper have always been fun for me because they like playing games and, uh, you get this cat and mouse thing going with these snappers. So it's a lot of dropping down and they figure out kind of what's going on. So they'll move around uh, the reef a little bit. So you kind of have to be a little predictable or less predictable. Got to predict where they're going and, and you poke your head in a hole and figure out if they've moved to a different part of the reef or not. So bouncing back and forth, I was able to um, secure a Kubera snapper on my pole spear, which uh, to me, you know, it's like with the amount of work that comes into tracking down a Kibera in the first place, um, you know, I've, I've seen footage where they're always like, you know, maybe you get into a big, big school of really big Kibera and it doesn't seem that hard in some, in some cases. Uh, but this was definitely one of those moments where we were playing games and I was able to secure a shot with a pole spear on a, on a 20 plus pound Kibera. So, um, that's in pretty legit. Yeah, in terms of sense of accomplishment, you know, yeah. that dive, 
that dive was 80 feet. So I was feeling like, yeah, this is, this is what I, I love hunting for this reason right here, being strategic and diving a little deeper. And I think I that. saw, I think I saw the video. I think Nate posted a video of dropping down 80 or 85 feet and seeing the snapper. Yeah. 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 You, you're right. It's just such an accomplishment. I, I like, I shot this little dog tooth one time. I mean, <laughs> wasn't even really big, but I was at 65 feet and, uh, you know, I'm not a great diver. I've never claimed to be a great diver, but, um, you know, at the time it was like 65 feet. Okay. We're just doing drops, but I dropped down to the bottom of a reef and it was more about like dropping on a coral reef, being in the tropics, uh, being on the, the shelf of a, you know, drop off reef getting schooled yeah. up. I got circled. I didn't even see them come in. They kind of came from behind and um, circled up around me and then plug the thing uh, and then come up with it. And it was like the way it should work. But I guess the fact that it just worked the way it should work. And it was like, yeah, I was like being a real diver. Wow. That was awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. It's just a good feeling. It's uh, you feel like a little kid. I mean, it definitely yeah. reminds you of like, this is why I do this. I really enjoy. And I always kind of compare to like, we're in Southern California. We're not really fishing. We are fishing. We eat what we, what we shoot. We're not, our lives aren't dependent on us landing this fish. Like we are not trying right. to feed our family. So this to the point like where we're on a Island in the middle of nowhere, you know, we're doing this for a, I feel like I'm doing my part as far as uh, sustainability and all of that. Won't buy anything yeah. in our store. I'll just, you know, but then there's that primitive side that taps into it where yep. it's like, yep, I can provide like, that's right. Like when COVID hit and it was like, everybody's, what are we going to do for food? I'm like, we'll be fine. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a great feeling. And then I feel like too, it also makes you appreciate the animal animal gave its life. You could eat it, but, uh, you know, you have that connection with your food that all of us kind of talk about too. So, right. Yep. Well, you talked a little bit about Panama and then I'll let you go, but I gotta, I gotta dig into, dig into this with you a little bit. You said Terry Moss. I'm assuming that was when you were in Panama dying with Terry or. Yeah. I drove with Terry a couple of times in Panama and, uh, he was also on the New Zealand trip. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So t I guess talk a little bit about the diving for a cause. Cause I'm not familiar sure. with that. So Diving for a Cause is a humanitarian organization. Um, Colleen Gallagher started it. Uh, she started spearfishing um, some time ago, but uh, she lives fairly close to Terry. I mean, she's up in Northern California, but she got hooked into the sport just like the rest of us. Um, and she's also uh, works in healthcare and uh specifically what she does i don't remember but i believe she's um a nurse in some cardiac uh department uh colleen if you're watching this i'm terribly sorry <laughs> um uh so we yeah she just got this thing started where she wanted to help the communities that we were going down and taking fish from um just as a way to give back uh as best we could for having these great opportunities and it really took off and um terry really uh started investing his time into the organization really loved to hanging out with colleen and um, they've built a pretty great friendship together so he does these trips uh with her that 
usually involve, you know, the bigger fish. He's, he's more keen on like Panama and New Zealand. Uh, he doesn't really do the Baja trips. Um, it's not quite his flavor, but, um, yeah. It, and his expertise for, for the, the tuna trips are always good. Um, so they go down to these communities, they shoot fish, they package it up and donate it to, uh, places in the community that are in need. And then usually as well, the organization brings down, um, supplies with backpacks to hand out to kids at a local school and, um, really like try to impact positive, uh, positively on on the community for helping helping the kids to have something to help them uh, through their journey of of life you know and then uh, giving them some inspiration we had a chance in New Zealand to spend some time with the kids uh, teaching them how to snorkel and just getting them like psyched on just being in the water with a mask and snorkel on their face you know um, I think that that speaks uh, volumes in terms of what this organization does, uh, just because we're sharing what we're doing and, and hopefully passing along some of that passion to these kids so that maybe they can, uh, provide something for their family in the future. Um, because that's in a lot of these cases, it's exactly what they would be doing. You know, they don't, they don't have much. So, um, so it's a great, great organization. I've loved every trip I've done with them and um, being able to to share in that with, with Terry. Um, you know, it really came full circle for me because when I started spearfishing, I bought his book and, uh, you know, he was this legend to me. I was like, man, this guy reading some of these stories in here and then, uh, just doing some research on his career was like, wow, this guy like has been everywhere, done everything, everything I would dream of ever doing. He's done it. He's uh, been through it all at the ups and downs. He lost. His yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. And, uh, so just being able to spend some time with him, um, one of my more treasured moments, just, he, called me up and was like, Hey, I'm bringing my boat out to Catalina. I know you live out there. Like you show me a yellowtail spot that you have and, and we'll, we'll dive together on the backside of the Island as a trade-off kind of thing. And, um, honestly, that was still stands out in my mind as like one of the greatest moments I've had just because being on his boat and Colleen was there and Bill Ernst was there and, uh, oh, wow. being in the presence of just these, like, such awesome people that have really impacted our community so much. Um, yeah, Bill, at the, that sea bass. Yeah. Bill's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I got to hear that story straight from his mouth. So that was Pretty another cool. special moment for sure. Um, and yeah, so the, I'm actually, uh, from that trip on Catalina, Terry got a shot of me in the kelp beds. Um, which is still such an awesome picture to look at. And he was so stoked on it that he put it in his uh, revised, the new edition, the 2020 edition of his book. So like literally yeah. full circle for me that like the book that really taught me everything I knew about spearfishing. Uh, I'm now in it and it's just. Oh, dude, that's epic. That's yeah. fucking epic. Yeah. How awesome is that? Yeah. It's so cool. And I think that's what's great about our spearfishing community as a whole is you find a lot of people like that where you just um, 
there are people you can latch onto and they're willing to help, you know, and, um, right. This, this community just becomes so tight knit and, uh, it makes, it makes the good moments feel great for everybody. And it makes the the rough moments, you know, everybody kind of will come together. Um, just like as an example, thinking about our, our guy that we lost from Spear America, Devin, um, yeah. you know, that happened. And I, I think we still feel the ripples down here, you know, and not a lot of people in San Diego knew him, but it was part of our, our community, you know? Yeah. I was called like one degree of separation. Uh, yeah. 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 So just that, that tightness. And, uh, so that's what really, um, yeah, it's super special for me to be able to have that. So, yeah, what a credible story. That's great. The book that everybody's read. I mean, everybody has that book, you know, uh, yeah. including myself and like, what a good read just cause all the stories and information. And then definitely there you are. <laughs> yeah. You're in it. It's awesome. Still can't uh, believe it for sure. So. Yeah, it's just, it's cool, man. Pretty, pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Uh, well, what a, what a good get. That just kind of goes to Terry too, man. He's, yeah. you know, the guys that have done so much, they're so humble, really. Like there are, we have our douchebags for sure. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> in general, there is a ton of guys. You're like, I shouldn't be on the boat right now with this guy. This guy is like, you know, right. Fucking Tom right. Brady of this thing or whatever. Like, you right. know, and, uh, it just goes back to the whole thing. It, it, this is just about, we shoot fish. Like it's, you know, yep. joy being in the ocean. Well, That's it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't think I've ever said this to his face. So, uh, but, Terry is like my grandfather in spearfishing, right? Like he's just, he's been there for a lot of moments that have helped me. Like I've, I would not have landed any tuna if it weren't for him. So, um, he's, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg. So well, it's just, yeah, I feel like he has a gift of simplifying things too. And I didn't mm-hmm. talk to him, but just doing his reading and it's like, yeah, like we talk about all these little things and like certain things with, you know, tides and, and behavior and all of that. And, and if you read his book and you are experienced and you read his book, you're like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, yeah, go a lot and try these things. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate your time, brother. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We, we got to get out and dive together soon sometime. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Uh, anyways, man. Uh, yeah, thank you. I got to get you down to Baja too. That sounds like a good trip you guys had, you and Nate. And then uh, I think, yep. uh, was uh, Derek down there too? He wasn't with us, but um, he's definitely going down with Nathan a lot when they do like Gen- Gonzaga and stuff. So Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, man. Um, I'll let you know about maybe next week or something. If you're diving, you'll be around. Go dive at the, um, down at the, uh, at the shores there. Yeah, for sure. All right. I'm always good just to have a dive buddy too, just cause I'm like trying to get out myself. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't been yeah. diving. The surf's been like 10 feet for the last month. Like I haven't been diving that much. I've just been. Yeah. Trying well, to La Jolla Shores is always protected. So I was down right. there. Yes. I was there yesterday and it was flat. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm flat, just like flat. so focused on, I got to surf while it's here. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Take care, man. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you. Oh, anytime, anytime. Thank you. 
Hey, that concludes the show today with Brandon. Uh, Thanks again, Brandon, for coming on. If you guys have any questions about what you might have heard on the show or want to get in touch with Brandon, feel free to contact him at focusfreediving.com and he'll answer any questions or maybe get you hooked up with a class in the future. Thanks, guys, for listening and take care. And if you'd like to support the show even further, you can go over to our Patreon page, www.patreon forward slash spearfactor and donate to the show to keep it going. And the most important people, uh, the sponsors, thank you guys. Uh, Immersion Freediving, Hot Rod Spear Guns, Acaso Cameras, Chimera Spearfishing, One Drop Spearfishing. Uh, thank you all you, all you guys for your support and all the details and discounts you get from those vendors if you go over to the website www.spearfactor.com and check it out all the promo codes and hook you guys up with some deals for listening until next time you guys all take care and dive safe thanks